I'm Leon Grotsky de Barrera. I'm Robbie Roberts. And you're listening to Toro Town Talks. If you live in Durham and you like a good cup of coffee, you've undoubtedly visited both Coco Cinnamon and Joe Van Gogh. The latter was founded by Robbie Roberts in 1991, and he now owns three Durham locations, as well as one in Chapel Hill, and he's taken over two green bean coffee houses in Greensboro. Behind Coco Zinnemann, you'll find Leon Grotsky de Barrera and his wife, Raleigh, and their coffee adventure had its beginnings a decade earlier. After humble beginnings in the Asheville Mall and selling coffee from a bike, Coco Cinnamon opened its first brick-and-mortar location in 2013, which has since been accompanied by two additional locations in Durham. While some might expect Joe Mango and Coco Cinnamon to consider themselves each other's biggest competitors, that really doesn't seem to be the case. Instead, there's a strong camaraderie and mutual respect between the two. They're both in the business of serving the community through the power of good coffee and physical spaces that allow people to come together. As such, the story of Joe Mango and Coco Cinnamon is representative of Durham at its best. A city that puts camaraderie above competition, a city that treasures that which is local and independent, and a city that loves people with interesting stories. For this exclusive two-part interview, I sat down with Robbie and Leon to listen to their stories and ask them a whole lot of questions about their love of coffee. In this first part, you get to hear about what these two coffee connoisseurs prefer to brew at home and how they handle family and friends who are not likely to serve them as good coffee as they themselves would be able to make. We cover the topic of the snooty factor among coffee enthusiasts, which might not be so snooty after all. And we talk about if Robbie and Leon were surprised at becoming as successful as they have, and not least, what makes Durham so special. The quintessential drinks at just about any contemporary coffee house are the espresso-based ones, such as cappuccinos, cortados, and lattes. So my first question is this. When they began serving coffee to the public, did they both start out making espresso-based coffee? We got to, we were lucky enough, we got to teach people what espresso was and what cappuccino was. I, I can't tell you the number of people that I gave their first one to, and probably may very soon after being introduced to it, made them for myself for the first time because it was really early on. Oh, yeah. How about? Yeah, in the mountains, it was a well, and espresso and drip. And then here in Durham, we started with aeropresses on a bicycle. Oh, yeah. Where'd you get that inspiration? Sheer desperation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, the practical part. Well, so my wife and I had gotten married, and my wife has a very kind of gentle demeanor. And I think I'm a pretty sincere, hard, hardworking person. And I think one thing that we can say about Durham is if you have an idea and you work hard and you're open to people, that people help you. And so we got on this, we built this bicycle, and people helped us build the bicycle. And we got out and, you know, you're riding up a hill and your wife or your husband's helping push you up the hill. And that's kind of fun to watch. And people kind of got into it with us. And um, that fast forwarding led to us having opportunities to open our shop. Oh, yeah. Where'd you get the idea for the bike? It's funny. I, I dreamed it. Well, we, we already knew. Coco Cinnamon had been born as an idea much earlier, several years earlier. And so we were figuring out how to get from out having absolutely nothing to opening a brick and mortar. And so the bike was kind of halfway time-wise there. It really became a matter of how do we stay focused on our shop idea while being involved with what we want to do with the shop. 
And so one morning during that process, I woke up and said the word buy coffee as if nobody had ever thought of it. <laughs> and then there happened to be this really, I think he still may do it. It's a guy named Espresso Manden, which just means Espresso Man in Danish in Copenhagen who had a really great setup. And of course we wrote him and he's like, we were like the gazillion person who wrote him. He's like, yeah, I consult on that. And we just really worked hard and uh, figured it out. So when you're at home, uh, what's your uh, brew method of choice? Aeropress was for a long, long time. I mean, they're all, all methods are kind of there. I used to have a single group chimbley um, for a long time. It was really big for having it in the house and I would take it out to do events. Mm -hmm. And I finally got in the age that I dropped it. So I didn't have an espresso machine at all at home for a long time. Do you now? I do. I got a rocket last year. I, I got it. I actually got it for my wife for Christmas, but I'm the one that uses it more. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a dual Christmas present. But oh, yeah. So I either have that or, or an AeroPress music. Yeah, okay. How about you, Liam? Um, the true answer is we drink so much coffee at work. Like I don't make coffee before leaving the house. No, okay. Um, it's one of three things. Either an AeroPress, a Cleta Wave, or a Chemex. And I would say I split evenly between the Kalita Wave and the AeroPress with the Rayleigh leaning a little bit more towards the Chemex. If you're going to do it at home, it's just sheer pleasure. Oh, yeah. There's no quality control involved. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> embedded in the way that you're, you're interested in coffee, but you're just doing it for yourself, which is hopefully overlapped at work, but at work you're never separating quality controlling or training from making. Right. Whereas at home, it's just like, this is, there's nobody to impress. It's just for yourself. And so it's, you actually get to go back to some of why you probably started in the first place. How particular are you about uh, like measuring down to the gram that everything you do when you're at home, uh, making sure that it's exactly 46 grams, if that's what you're going for. I'm, I'm old school. If, if the espresso starts correctly and it looks right, then it's right. <laughs> because that's the way we started. There were no, you didn't have a gram scale when I no. started. Uh -huh. You hardly had a scale at all. And you had a single uh, air, a single analog temperature gauge on your roaster and you hoped it worked, but if it didn't, it didn't matter <laughs> because you're going to do it by ear anyway. Uh -huh. Yeah, you're inside. So, yeah. so I, I'm really happy at home when I don't have to worry about anything, but yeah, that looks good. Yeah. Is your approach the same? I think it correlates to desperation levels. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that we end up doing is the tricky part is, you know, we have our setup at home, which is really great, except you had a training yesterday and you like sapped all your equipment. So then it's like, oh my gosh, I have nothing left. So in those cases, it becomes incredibly intuitive. In general, you know, we'll have a scale and a timer and so forth. Again, you know, like, because the thing is, if you start thinking about craft and coffee play, there are endless tweaks mm -hmm. and minute details that you can get into that we try to formalize at work as part of our training or testing program. And I think at home, there's a degree of relaxation that you, you can't, you try to have it work, but you can't. So it's like you can try something new in a way that is very that doesn't have any pressure to it, which I like. What about when you go to your own coffee shops and you just, uh, and you ask for uh, a coffee drink, what's your drink of choice there? I typically just run behind the counter and get something that's being brewed and just see how it is. Yeah. Okay. Just a little of that because I'm not going to drink coffee all day. Yeah. So. 
And that's a bit true for me too. And again, it's a challenge because you have the embedded, I need to check on quality. Mm -hmm. You know, people would assume you have very specific preferences. For me, it's much more of like also just trying stuff for fun. Oh, yeah. So I'm particularly curious about this one. When you go to a family member's house or a friend's house or something, and they only have like really tasteless pre-ground supermarket coffee to offer you, do you still drink it? Depends on how polite I need to be. <laughs> Depends. In general? I don't know about Leon, but for me, nobody's going to serve me coffee. They're, they're nervous about it. <laughs> they're going to expect me to go make it, which I will do. Yeah, okay. And I usually bring it. If I'm a guest somewhere, I'll drink right. some coffee as a, as a gift. So that's, that's almost a non-situation. To, to what extent is that to make sure that you're getting good coffee? Oh, I, I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. How about you? If you get served a, a, what you know full and well is a really poor cup of coffee at someone's house, what do you do? I don't know. I almost want to flip the question around and talk about driving on the highway at three o'clock in the morning when you're about to die. Honestly, <laughs> That's when you're really confronted with, I need this. You know what I mean? You know, I was on a plane all night last night, but if it had been six, five o'clock in the morning when I got on the plane, I'll drink the coffee. Yeah, absolutely. And you will put more cream and stuff in it because you kind of have, you know, there's a thing. It's like, you know, it's this whole question of snooty factor. The truth is, if you drink coffee and you source quality coffee all the time, your palate is different and you will notice it in a way that is different from somebody who hasn't attended to that, you know. But I'll, so, I'll go to Waffle House and drink coffee. If, if I want a cup of coffee with breakfast, sure. I have noticed that my mother's coffee has gotten better. Oh, yeah. Over the years of us having coffee places, everybody, as they get more and more tuned to it and try new things, and if it's well-sourced, their taste buds change. And that's where you're confronted with this, this issue. Oh, yeah. And at the same time, I think it's really important not to be disrespectful to people. Oh, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. But let's say it's someone that you have some uh, leeway with, <laughs> lack of a better term, uh, and you feel that you that you can express your your honest opinion without truly upsetting someone. Will you, in that situation, uh, let it be known? All context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all context. Depends. Yeah. You're probably most of the time bringing coffee or they may expect you to be the one who makes the coffee, which is funny when you're confronted with like a home brewer that you don't really know yeah. that wasn't cleaned. Yeah. <laughs> I think when we go to people's houses that we like, we generally bring our stuff yeah. Because they almost expect it. And because you actually have time to have fun with it. Yeah. All right. It's a treat for them. Yeah. Really. They, and they, they don't want to make coffee for you. No. No. And then sometimes you don't bring a thing and it's like, see what happens. Yeah. Do you feel that you have a specific mission when it comes to coffee and owning coffee businesses? That's a challenging question. Yes. And on one hand, you have to break it down just to the coffee and then there's a whole answer. And then there's a question of like, how can our shops and our business be a catalyst both in our community and like how we relate to producers. Uh, is there something that you like to change people's perception on, like such as how coffee's brewed coffee, or enjoyed? Coffee houses are a collaboration. You, you make a, you get to make a first shot at a menu and an idea of what it's going to look like. And then people start using it and you'll change to meet whatever they're asking for, whether it be your hours, your menu, uh, what you use to serve, um, it's it really is a, a collaboration, oh, yeah. and I the, the places that I like best you can feel it's a collaboration, mm -hmm. and then the places that are more sterile and are being 
the customers are being just given, this is how we do it. Um, they just don't have the same feel. Oh, yeah. So when you started uh, at your individual times and you started your businesses, uh, to what extent were you surprised uh, that you became as successful as you did? I feel like I'm still trying to dig myself out every day. It's not, it is coffee and it's a, it's nice, but it's not a huge reward if you're talking economics, but the reward is those places and the community and, oh, yeah. and the enjoyment of, of what you're doing. Um, that. And so if you can make a living and provide some livings, um, oh, yeah. you're probably getting there, but you're not going to get rich, at least no. not the way I do it. Right. And I wasn't so much referring to the financial aspect, which I don't really have any insight into anyway, but more the fact that you have, you have six different locations now and you have three. So like it's, it's growing and it has been growing for we are fortunate, years. I think, you know, some places don't make it. So in that sense, we're definitely fortunate. Correct. I agree with that. Yeah, man, but it was, I, I hesitate because I don't love the idea of business, but if you're in business, you kind of have to be like a shark. You got to be always swimming around looking to grow oh, yeah. or to eat or whatever you want to say, because if you're not, you're going to be moving backwards. Yeah. And so that's just a given at this point. That's what I see. You can't be static. No. Right. There's a side of this industry that spends a lot of time selling to itself which I've never found to be useful for what we do. All I really care about is our customers. Yeah. Uh, but how about you, Leanne? Were you in any way surprised when things started to take off for you guys? Yes. I mean, I, I grew up really poor. And so I'm, I'm in total shock. And I was in shock. You know, I don't want to, again, I, it sounds funny saying that. My mother was worked in a diner my whole childhood. I think that's a better way of saying that. And she moved us around a lot. And she's this incredible, hardworking woman. And uh, I can't help but give backstory. It's just how I operate. You know, I became a teacher because I was really afraid of not being able to make a living. Like, how can I be creative and be secure? And then that meandered into art and, and, and then coffee. And again, you know, I, I, we worked really hard to get started. And we were in the black from day one. And I was in shock. I remember the first pair of sneakers I bought, I was like, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, like you think within four, we had been working, we started working on Cocoa Cinnamon in 2010. The first place we ever set up under that name was at the Asheville Mall. And that's humbling. It was, I, I, I thought, all right, it's Asheville. It's going to be kind of cool and it'll work. And then we did state farmers market. We did whatever we had to do to survive in the beginning. And so the bike landed up being something that was very encouraging. The thing we have to remember is we're in Durham. It's not a normal place. This is like a, a general rule, I think, for our city is that people want to help. People are generally thoughtful. They like local, or we like local. We like independent. We like, you know, knowing people's stories, and we like to help out. We're in Durham at a good time. We are, Durham yes. wasn't always like this, but no. it was now. <laughs> Yeah, in this regard, I mean, during we have challenges too, but this element is a particular thing about our community. I started working here in 2002, which is nothing compared to Robbie's oven from this area. Trust me, you know, it's only 10 years. That's not a big deal after, after 20 or 25. Yeah, we have a, a iced coffee named St. Al's Ice Coffee, and it's because of a person in Durham who is one of our saints. He has helped us and continues to help us, and... 
I've known him since the first week I ever came to town to work in 2002. And the thing is that stories happen over and over again in a way that other places I've lived, that hasn't been the case. So oh, yeah. I, I still remain in awe of, of being successful in that regard. And we have never ending excuses to connect with people or get to know people or be amazed by people. If you think about many, many, many other professions, not, that isn't the case. That was the end of part one. Next week, you'll get to hear part two, in which Robbie and Leon will share their impressions of each other's businesses and discuss topics such as third wave coffee, Italian espresso culture, and a topic that any coffee aficionado has a strong opinion on, single origin coffee versus blends. My thanks to Robbie and Leon for participating in this interview, to Jason Lytle of Granddaddy for providing the Town Talks theme tune, and to you for tuning in. To make sure you catch part two of my interview with Robbie and Leon, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.